We're going to start in chapter 3 this week. As we ended chapter 2, we saw Paul giving his warnings against the evil teachings, right? Which, which would have robbed the Colossians of their fullness in Christ. And I love that statement, the fullness in Christ, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, you know, but Paul, he, he, he saw that this stuff that was coming against the church was robbing the church of this fullness, right? So moving into chapter 3, we see him provide kind of a, a counterpart, if you will, that, that, and he, he, he starts to instruct uh, the Colossian church and wants to enhance their fullness in Christ so that they could really take this to heart. And, you know, I like to think of Paul's teaching as, as coaching. You know, have you ever thought of, of it that way? You know, and if we will allow Paul to coach us, to instruct us, even though there's 2,000 years have gone by here, it still works, Right. And, you know, if your kids have ever played sports, you understand the difference between a good coach and a bad coach, right? Maybe you perhaps yourself have played and you, you recognize that. And, you know, I know there's two guys to me that stand out in that area that just, it's just phenomenal. I, I, just their coaching of people, you know, and we see that in professional sports as well, but it, I think it shines even more in youth. Um, there was a guy, at a, he's a Christian um, his name is Scott Bursmith. Have you all ever heard that name? He's a girls basketball coach. But he was so good that, you know, this was, we're talking 20 years ago, 25 years ago, Cherokee County, right? Get the picture, not like today. 25 years ago, he was a girls basketball coach at Etowah, and he took him to state championship. You know, think of Etowah High School 25 years ago, not a lot of talent. Town Lake wasn't there. Right, not a, that was a country bumpkin school, and he took them to state. He moves to Sequoia High School, takes them to state. You know, two Cherokee kind. So coaching makes a difference. And when we, um, when my son played, there was a guy named Dave Barrett. I was telling Scott his son played professional baseball. Only guy I've ever known in little league that came up with us that that made it all the way. And Dave Barrett was that kind of guy that had had forgotten more than most people know about baseball, right? So coaching makes a difference, and you can see that in, in players' lives. And, and, and I think you could say the same thing with preaching, right? That uh, you can see good, solid Christians in churches where, the, if you want to call the teaching coaching, you can see that they're more mature believers. So coaching makes a difference. And, and those that paid attention to Paul's coaching, to his teaching along the way, um, you know, matured more. And, and, you know, this, we got to understand that when we're reading, and I lose sight of this, I need to remind myself of this almost every morning when I'm doing my quiet time, that when we're reading the Bible, we're reading Paul in the, in these letters that he's written is, we really need to be listening as if that's God writing to us, right? I mean, this is, Paul wrote it, but God inspired him as he as he was writing it, and it helps. It, to me, that gives a little oomph to it, you know. When I th- realize that, you know, this is actually God teaching me. Well, if you look back in chapter two and verses nine and ten, uh, where he says, um, "For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you—that's us, right? The, them and us—have been, have been, have been." Past tense, filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
So when we, when we read that, that should cause us to stop for a moment and think, what in the world does it mean for me to be filled with the fullness of God? So uh, he starts to unpack that for us as he coaches us through chapter 3 regarding our fullness in Christ. So in chapter 3, um, verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So the word if there that the ESV uses, does anybody else have a different word? In verse uh, 1, I think the NIV says since, you know, and, and I think that's really a better translation, since. Because if I say if, that might mean maybe not, right? So I think since is a better word, but the, the, uh, the reality of the if works as well. Believers having been raised with Christ is not in doubt, right? That's why I think since is better than if, because believers, if you've been raised with Christ, um, you know, that's no doubt. So the verb actually means to be co-resurrected. You know, it's an accomplished fact. Do you ever think about that? It's an accomplished fact. Believers spiritually are entered into Christ's death and resurrection at the moment of their salvation. Now, we might not recognize that. We might not understand that. Depends, I guess, a lot on your Christian upbringing, right? Mine was none. So I didn't have a clue. If you walked up to me the day that I was saved and said, you know, that you, you've been co-resurrected with Jesus Christ, do what? You know, I wouldn't get that. So, but that, that is a reality, right? And I quote this verse often in Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer what? I who lives, but Christ lives in me. That's, that's that co-resurrection going on there. So Paul shows the union of the believer with the Lord so that in, in such a manner for us to recognize that we have a shared life. And this is a great deterrent for sin, by the way. Uh, in Romans 6, uh, 3 and 4, I'll read that real quick. It says, do you not know? You know, like if he's saying that to Tim, you know, it'd be, hey, dummy, you know, don't you know? So do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Have been. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the baptism here is not talking about our water baptism as an immersing right? But it's talking about immersing us into the Savior's death and resurrection. It's kind of that infusion, if you will, that we've been infused into Jesus's death and his resurrection. So now we're in union with Christ. We've died, we've been buried, and we've risen with him. I mean, think of that process in your mind if you think of your old life and you think of your new life, right, in Christ. I was listening to a song Yesterday, and I'm never going to be able to remember the words. It's a third day song called Born Again. Have you ever heard it? You know, does anybody know how it kind of goes? It, it's, it's, I said to Kid, I said, you know, there's some truth in that. You know, that if you listen to what he's saying there, he, you know, it feels like I've been born again. It feels like something is new. There's, there's a fundamental difference in my life now. 
I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know what it was. But there was a definite, you know, new life going on. And that's what Paul's talking about here. We are in union with Christ. If if somebody says they're a Christian and, and they can't tell that there's been a fundamental change in their life, then something's bad wrong, right? I mean, something is really bad wrong. I I remember the first week I was saved, and and, and I'm not saying you got to remember that in your life for you to not for you to be a Christian. Mine was so drastic, I clearly remember it. And the guy that led me to Christ when he came back to my house that next week to disciple my wife and I, um, for some reason, I he he said, "How's your week been?" And I said, the weirdest thing happened. Of course, we were out on the deck, and I'm smoking a cigarette, blowing it in his face, you know. But, uh, but you know, I could tell something was really different in my life. And, and, and he said, what do you mean the weirdest thing? And I said, well, I've used God's name in vain six times this week. And, and he looked at me, and, he, and I said, how would I even know that? And, um, and I, I said, he said, well, what are you talking about? And I said, man, I'm telling you. Before, I used God's name in vain six times in 60 seconds. And I I am consciously aware that I did it six times in the last seven days. Each time I did it, it was like somebody thrust a knife into my side. I felt pain, you know, and and he he just started laughing. You know, he said, I think you got the Holy Spirit. You know, I said, well, I got something. I don't know what it is, but man, something's bad, different, not bad, good, different in my life. You know, and that, that's, I was in union with Christ and I knew it, right? I didn't understand it, but I knew something was totally different. So, um, we now, listen to this, we now possess divine and eternal life, which is not just our endless existence, but, but we have a, a heavenly quality of life that is brought to us here on earth by the indwelling of Jesus himself, right? That's the big difference. So now, because of that, we have an obligation to live consistently with those realities. That's where now it starts to get hard. That's why, you know, I I remember a preacher I used to listen to a lot said, this isn't a true statement, but it kind of makes sense. Ready? If I'd have known being a Christian was this hard, I'd have thought twice about being one. You know, now... You know, we're not the ones that make ourselves Christians, but you get the point. It's That's when the fight starts, right? There was no battle. I didn't care that I used God's name in vain before I was saved. And, and now, all of a sudden, those kind of things, I had this these convictions going on. didn't understand them, but I had them going on. We have, as Christians, being indwelt for all of eternity with the Holy Spirit, now a obligation to live consistently with the realities of God's Word. This new life, it's real, it's powerful, but guess what? So is remaining sin, right? Remaining sin is very real, very powerful. Does anybody doubt that? Very real, very powerful. I've said to a group on Thursday night, you know, that if you ever watch those Disney, or not Disney, uh, National Geographic documentaries on Africa, you know, you see a lion and he's stalking his prey, Right, and what does he do when he gets his prey? Does he just pounce it? You know, take little tiny bites out of it, and everything's cool? No, he he shreds that thing, you know. And then all the other animals, you know, they're all in there trying to get a piece as well, right? 
and, and what does scripture say? Peter tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. Even though we're indwelt with Christ, this sin is a big deal for us and we're being wanting, the devil wants to, Satan wants to devour us like a lion devours its prey that it's, that it's been caught. So <clears throat> this sin is no longer, great news here, it's no longer our master, but it can from time to time, overpower us if we're not presenting ourselves as God's servants of righteousness, right? So in other words, we're vigilant. We have to be vigilant. We have to be, we have to be on guard. And so uh, Paul tells us in, uh, in Christ, in Philippians 2.12, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for, work it out with fear and trembling. And that's what part of this is. This is us actively engaging sin, actively not engaging it to, I'm mean, engaging it in warfare to kill it, not engaging it to do it, right? I've got to be careful there. And, and, uh, and understanding that we have the weapons that we need. We have uh, this is, I probably quote this verse more than any other, Second Peter 1, 3. God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? So everything that you and I need for Christian living, God has already given it to us. But the, the downfall is many times we fail to understand the fullness of Christ and the resources that God has for us. So when we fail to understand the fullness, then we're intimidated into thinking that we need something else, something more than the Christian life. And here starts the problem that Paul's been talking about in chapter 2. You know, these, the, the false teachers were bringing in all of these things that they were telling the Colossians that would enhance their Christian life. You know, they, the, the false philosophies, the legalism, the mysticism, asceticism. I mean, what are some of those that, those that you've maybe experienced in your life that you now have m- perhaps moved on because from that? What do you think? You know, for them, I just named a few. What are some others? Y'all ever, uh, the Babylon Bee, y'all know that? <laughs> um, there was one on there this week that talked about, I guess the Southern Baptist Convention was this week. And they passed a new resolution. This is satire. They passed a new re- uh, resolution that the Southern Baptists have been having entirely too much fun lately. So they, you know, came out with these new rules and regulations. And, of course, it won with, you know, so now we got to quit having fun. Those are the kind of things, right, that you can't be a good believer if, you know. I mean, what do you think? What are some that you maybe personally fell prey to in the past? Watching sports. Man, I never got that one. <laughs> but that's true, right? I mean, that's true. I mean, um, yeah, that's a good one. I'll leave that one. <laughs> what else? You know? Movies? Okay. All right. And we talked a lot about this kind of stuff with the, uh, on the conscience issue. But, yeah, that would certainly be one. You know, got to get in this box or you're not. You know, music, um, you know, conforming. Um, you know, I think I shared this on when I did the conscience one. When I kept hearing this word legalism when I was first saved, didn't have a clue what that meant. And I asked Craig Tuck, uh, who, who was mentoring me, um, 
what does that mean? And he took me back to Genesis chapter 3 and where uh, the word of God was added to, added to where um, Eve said we're not supposed to eat it or touch it. Well, God didn't say the touch it part, right? He said eat it. That was adding to God's word. And Craig told me legalism is adding to God's word. And I've always loved that definition. You know, the Bible doesn't say, you know, that you can't dance. Matter of fact, it talks about dancing. But when I, I remember, I kid you not, I remember the first time they were going to have dancing at First Baptist Woodstock. Because my wife was in the choir and the music director, director was on pins and needles because he didn't know if people would get up and walk out or not because they were going to have some dancing on the stage to go with the music. You know, that, I mean, think about that. You know, that's what we're talking about here, that you are somehow going to be more godly because you don't do fill in the blank. <clears throat> and that's what was going on here in Colossae. So Paul reminds the Colossians and us that, that we have risen with Christ. Have, you know, the... We don't have to work towards that. We don't have to look for that in the future. It has happened, right? This path to holiness, um, not self-denial, not angelic experience or ceremony or any other do's and don'ts. That's why I just love uh, verse 23 of chapter 2. I mean, he just caps it. He talks about all this stuff. And then he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Oh, that makes you look real godly and smart in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But look at these last, that last phrase. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All that do's and don'ts is not going to keep you from sinning. That's what he's saying, right? And I mean, I, that just can't, for, for my job, that can't be more, that's the most important verse I've read in years and years and years and years because I try and teach people how to not be addicted, how to not use substances to feel better or to feel worse or feel whatever, right? And I'm telling you, I can put up all these rules and regulations, but Paul's telling me, Tim, those are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What will stop that guy or girl from wanting to do that substance then? realizing he's been raised with Christ. Isn't that just so much better? That's not me. That's not them working. That's God doing a work. So we, we are no longer living the old life that we lived before our salvation, but we have to understand ourselves and teach others that we possess the eternal life of Christ. And, and we've been raised to live on a completely higher plane than that. And as I've said, that's just a great deterrent to sin when you recognize that not being ignorant or forgetful of who we who we are and how we're to live that that's a great deterrent to sin um all sinful passion is controlled and conquered by the power of the of indwelling christ in our lives in our union with him so look at verse two he says set your minds on the things that are above not on things that are on earth. So what are the things that are above? You know, certainly um, this is figurative language here where Paul's not really talking about the physical things of heaven. You know, he's not talking about, okay, now picture in your mind, um, you know, the throne. You got it? You know, think about that. That's not what he's talking about. You know, he's not talking about 
the streets of gold, right? And kicking up gold dust as you skip down the streets. You know, this is figurative language that he's talking about here. Matter of fact, listen to this quote by Luther. Luther would just get so mad when he would look at the artwork of the Middle Ages because it depicted that kind of stuff. This is a quote from Luther. Oh, that he- oh, that heaven of the charlatans with its golden chair and Christ seated at the Father's side, vested in choir robes in a golden robe as the painters loved to portray him. You know, he, he hated that, right? Things above are not material things, but they have to do rather with Christ's sovereign reign over the universe that he fills with his power. It includes things of his character, things of his presence, things of his heavenly joys, if you will, his attributes, if you will. What are some of those? If you're struggling with sin and you're trying to focus your mind back on the things of God and you're calling to mind verse 2 here where Paul's telling you to, Tim, set your mind on things above, what are some of the attributes of God that would help you with that? What do you think? What about his love? You know, I mean, you, you could go on with the love forever. Mercy, grace, kindness, right? Compassion, forgiveness, wisdom. I mean, we could go on and on, right? And when we focus on the realities of heaven, we can truly enjoy the world that God has created. I, I think of that uh, hymn, I am his and he is mine. Yeah, you remember that one? Listen to some words from that. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Isn't that good? I mean, can you say that about your life now? I mean, you know, I'm I'm not talking about this experiential type of stuff, you know, but... Just little things, you know, that I can remember a few weeks back, I was sitting in the backyard playing ball with my dog and sitting in a chair and there's this big green tree over to the right, a big bushy tree. And just at this time of year before the summer dog days hit, you know, isn't everything a lot greener right now? And, you know, pretty soon it just kind of all starts to fade a little bit. But right now it's just, man, it's just punched with green and one of those Georgia perfectly crystal clear blue skies, right? You got the picture? And a cardinal comes and flies right in the middle of all that and lands on that tree. And I just thought, wow, you know, look at that. They had the red, the green, the blue, you know. And, and uh, you know, I don't know that before um, I was a Christian that I recognized stuff like that, you know, things like that that stand out. But, you know, um, it just... The grass seems greener, maybe not at my house. You know, the sky bluer. You know, you, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm not talking about ooey-eye uh, stuff here, but, you know, we can say it this way, that, that we're not to be seeking heavenly geography, but we're to be seeking the one who dwells there, Christ himself. And the verb set is in the present imperative, which means this is continuous. It's not like you lock on one time, you know, and you're there like this forever, because we know we... We can't do that. It's an ongoing effort. We're, we're persistently seeking. And, and again, that's a great way to fight sin. You know, 
history abounds with examples of persistence, right? I mean, I, can you think of in your life maybe something that you persisted after from year after year after year and, you know, you got reward? That's what we're talking about here. And I was in Egypt a few years ago, you know, and this whole deal with King Tut and all with this particular archaeologist that that Doug, you know, I mean, he just persisted through rubble and discouragement and ridicule. Think of um, Noah, right? Think of how he persisted, right, and the ridicule that he got. And, and persistence is focused on rewards, which, as great as they are, they can't even hold a candle to the things that are above. You know, we persist on these with these earthly endeavors, but if we would take some of that effort and seek and set and persist on knowing God that way, it would, it would uh, enhance our lives greatly. It would help us to be able to battle sin better as well. So this typically comes primarily through prayer. Um, as we seek and knock for the things above, Matthew uh, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then Luke says uh, in Luke 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So this seeking, ought to, it ought to pervade our conversations, our prayer lives, our friendships, our work, our study, um, I think I already said our playtime, right? And when it does, then that will enhance our fullness of Christ. The act of seeking depends on your set of mind. He says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, millions, if not billions of people think their things are their life, right? Do you ever struggle with that? Um, have you, have you seen the bumper sticker that says the one with the most toys wins? You know, it's been a few years since that one's been around, but you remember that one? You know, and for a lot of people, that's the philosophy of life. And sadly to say, it's the philosophy of a lot of Christians, too, with this prosperity gospel thing, you know, that, that gushes forth into our society. I even, listen to this, I even found a, a rephrasing of Psalm 23 by the prosperity gospel. The Lord is my banker. My credit is good. He giveth me the key to his strong box. He restoreth my faith in riches. He guideth me in the paths of prosperity for his name's sake. Wow. You know? You know, what do you do with somebody in an impoverished, you know, off-the-grid society with something like that, Right? But Paul says in response that we're not to set our minds on earthly things. That's not where our stuff, our, our blessing comes from. Uh, and, and so what are some earthly things that we're not supposed to be setting our minds on? Certainly material possessions, right? But I think some immaterial things as well. You know, honor, 
Position? You know, what else? What do you think? Freedom? Sure, yeah, freedom. You know, we, and we've got to note that Paul's not suggesting that we withdraw from commerce. He's not suggesting that we don't try and achieve in our, in our careers, you know, um, because taken to absurdity, that person could then get into the mindset of, you know, well, um, you know, I could never be a Christian surgeon or a, or a chef or, or a lawyer or a whatever because the, that I can't set my mind on God if I'm setting my mind on that. You know, so that, that's taken it too far the wrong direction. The difference is that the Christian no longer sees things as if that's what matters, right? I mean, absolutely, God has gifted each one of us with spiritual gifts when we're saved, but he's also gifted each one of us differently with different talents, right? I mean, I could never be a medical doctor. No offense to Dr. Ryan here, but I mean, you know, to take an instrument and, and put it on somebody's body, I mean, that would freak me out, you know? Cut somebody open or, you know? Whoa, or, or take a stitch, you know? He's told me before he really likes stitching up, you know? And he's got great rates, too. He's a lot cheaper than going to the hospital. But <laughs> that's a great gift that he has, right, that he can do. And, and I heard Sean Hannity talking about this the other day. is why I'm picking on Dr. Ryan. He's got some friends that are surgeons, you know, and they were telling him how gifted he was in his job with the radio thing. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, you guys are cutting folks open. You know, you're, you're, you're making, you know, what you do could kill someone, right? They come to you for medical help, but in reality, you could kill them cutting them, you know? So you, you, that's a giftedness from God. Each one of us has that, right? It may take us a while to get that developed, but each one of us has, no matter what your job is, you have a giftedness from God to be able to carry that out. So whether you're the guy down here doing this job that he may think it's a menial job, but if, he, if he's got his mind set on God and the things above, Christ's character and operating in his life, then he is in the right place as much as the you know, president or whoever, right? No matter what the job is. So we've we got to be careful that we don't withdraw with trying to not pursue the giftedness that God's given us. But our minds are always supposed to be dominated by the things that are above. Um, you know, we kind of really see in these verses what one commentator called the great divide in the Christian life. We set, what we set our minds on determines our seeking, and then that determines our direction of life. So I guess the kind of the question is, what do you think about when you have nothing else to do? When you're just sitting there, you're done with whatever, what are you thinking about right now? We've got to be careful and qualify this, I guess, because we all daydream about a lot of things like our sports team or our vacation or, you know, whatever. But, you know, you know what I mean. What are you thinking about primarily as you're, when you have nothing else to do? You know, things that, that you shouldn't really set aside. You know, hopefully... You, you can answer that in your own life as I think about God and his work in my life and the, the things that are above. Um, and hopefully that's the way we think because, again, in Luke twelve thirty four it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So if your treasure's in 
fill in the blank, then that's where your heart's going to be, and that's what you're going to be thinking about. You know, we we also must uh, remember that our mindset. It's a deliberate act of our will. Your mind is not going to naturally gravitate towards that, right? You know, we set our minds. Maybe I'm just, maybe I put, I need to change my word here to I, but I wrote we. So we set our minds on taking a vacation. We set our minds on buying something. We set our minds on finishing a project. So with all that said, we know that we can set our mind on things above, right? We can do that because we set it on all kinds of other stuff. So, in addition to that, we need to hold loosely to the things that are here. Now, what am I talking about there? Our possessions, right? Hold loosely to them. Um, remember the parable of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus asking, you know, what do I got to do? And Jesus told him, sell all you got. You know, and he went away sorrowing. He couldn't get rid of his things. And so, he wasn't, God wasn't going to save him. You know, and each one of us is that guy, right? I mean, we just are. You know, every one of us in this church, in this room, in this city, in this state, in this country have incredible wealth. We have more things than we know what to do with. And because of our possessions, it's difficult to set our minds on the things above. So there's two ways that we can hold on to something, with a clenched fist or with an open hand. Do you all know Corey Ten Boom, you know who she was? Listen to this quote from her. Hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries open your fingers. You know, I mean, if you got it like that and somebody's trying to get it, it hurts, right? A good exercise for us is to learn to regularly give something away which we value very much. What would be that for you? I asked that to Kit, and she just sat there, and I said, Well, and she said, I don't know. What do you think? And she said, We... We don't really have anything. I said, well, then why is that shed out there full where you couldn't put a blade of grass in it if we don't have anything? What are we doing? We hadn't fooled with any of that stuff in years. You know, we could give it all away, right? John Michael says, yeah, give me that weed eater. (laughs) (laughs) You need one too? You know what I mean, though, when you start thinking about that? I had an example of this last week, and I didn't do it. I, I, I didn't do it, and I've thought about it thinking about it right now. I I went um, creek fishing last, I can't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And I was up in in Talking Rock Creek, way downstream in the water. I caught quite a few fish and I started heading back up and I see this lion going out. And yeah, you never run into anybody creek fishing. People just don't get out and plot around in the creeks. That's why I like it. I can be out there with myself and God. And and uh, so here comes a guy up the creek. And this was up um, kind of uh, between Jasper and Ellijay in Talking Rock Creek. You know, and there aren't a lot of black people in that area, right? And there's a young, probably 16-year-old black kid creek fishing. I, th- I mean, that's just talk about out of the place. And so I'm talking, he's got a stringer, t- I throw mine back. He's got a stringer tied to his belt, and he's got six or eight nice fish on it, you know, and, and he's got his little tackle box thing under his arm like this, you know, and he's fishing and trying to, and, and I've got this really nice, you know, $45, $50 fishing vest, you know, with all these pockets and, you know, and I, I, I'm telling you, after we talked for a minute and we walked away and I thought, you know, I ought to just give him this thing. And I didn't do it. Then my mind went to, well, you know, before I had this really nice fishing vest, 
I had I went I went to Walmart and I bought a ladies makeup bag. And Kit sewed an extra strap on it so it kind of hangs down here. Plastic lines, you know, so you can keep bait and stuff in there. And I thought, well, I'll just go back and tell him about that. He needs to go to Walmart and get him one of those. And and but I didn't. So I get back to my car and I leave and I. I drive up the road because I, I wanted to look at something up there, and I come back down, and I see him coming up the creek. And I thought, you know, I ought to just pull over and wait for him to get up here. And, but I didn't do it. You know, now I've just been convicted all week. Should I go back and try and find out where this kid lives? And I mean, you know, I could. You know what I mean, though? We just, we just need to. That, that's just setting our minds on something other than ourselves. So, um, you know, I don't know what that might mean for you, but when we start clinching things, right? And, you know, the perfect example for me, I'm a hard, slow learner, was in 2008 um, when God took our house away with a tornado. You know, that, that uh, you know, I was so proud. I never tell many people this part of that story. The, that was in May of 2008, um, in January of that year, I've got a wealthy brother-in-law that that gave me a lot of money. And I was able to pay my house off. Man, look at me. I've accomplished the American dream. i got a house paid for. You know, I'm telling you, I thought that way. That's just pride, pride, pride. And, I um, mean, it's great to have your house paid for. I'm not saying if you got your house paid for. That, but I thought those thoughts right, which was prideful of me, and God showed me, you know, I'll take that away as quick as I sent you that money through your brother-in-law, and uh, I didn't want to listen, and God took it away, but I can blame my wife for the whole tornado, though, because <laughs> we were getting ready to leave, this is a side note, we were, we were getting ready to leave for Peru in two weeks after that. She was teaching a lesson to the women in Peru on contentment. That morning, she prayed, God, you know I'm a visual learner. Please help me see how to teach these women on contentment. And boom, you know, it's like, okay. But I told her, quit praying. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, that, that's what we're talking about, you know, that set our minds on things above. These things of the earth, they're... You know, when we're gone, they won't mean anything, right? Paul gives the reasoning behind his instructions here in verse 3 and 4. He says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. So his reasoning is based on the past and the future and really the history for all true believers. You know, our past is given... In verse 3, you, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ. You know, we actually died when we were baptized. We talked about that already, really. Um, our lives are part of the things above that we're to be setting our minds on. So, in Christ, there's fullness. That's what he wants us to see. And our future is described in verse 4, where he says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right now, our lives are hidden in Christ, but when he is revealed at his coming in the glorious body, we will be revealed with bodies like him. And that's why Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, 
From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject him subject subject all things to himself. So right now we're hidden with Christ, but then we will be revealed, right? And there's a fabulous, spectacular future that awaits us. The fact that that we are citizens of heaven now and that we don't belong here. He, he says, you know, I know this is temporary for you, right? Paul instructs us to fix our thoughts not on the immaterial things, of, I mean, on the immaterial things of, of the character of Christ. You know, we're all on a journey. We're all going home someday, and this isn't it. Thank goodness, right? But if this sin-cursed world is so awesome that we can see the blue sky, the green grass, and the red bird, and the green tree, you know, just think of what an uncursed creation is going to be like one day. You know, when I was in the Army, um, when you got within the last year, you started counting down, and they called it being short. So if you ask, you know, you're somewhere and you say, well, you know, how long have you been here? Man, I'm 25 days short. That means you got 25 days left. And the last day that you were at any particular duty assignment, you would take your boots off, you would tie the boot strings together, and you would throw them up over the telephone lines. You know, in Germany, the barracks where I was, all the way down the street, nothing but boots hanging from the wires. Short timers, right? That's our life here now. So when that, what helps me is when I start thinking on, you know, that I need this, I need that, I want that, you know, I need to realize this is temporary, and, you know, in the military, again, they had a uh, a thing they called temporary duty. You know, they may send you over here for a week, but you really belong over there. That's our lives now. We're on temporary duty here. And key word there, duty. We're to be doing something, right? And, and God's calling us to live out that life, that future citizenship that we have in in heaven. And that's why, you know, verses like Ephesians 4.1 where Paul says... Uh, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You know, so next week we'll start looking at um, Paul getting into, okay, here's how you're supposed to be. Well, set your mind on the things above, and here's how you need to start walking those things out, right? The practical application really of the theology that he's given us in chapters 1 and 2 is what we'll start hashing out starting next week. So any uh, final comments there? You know, the other the other weird thing about the military too was, and I probably said this to you all before, but you could be stationed at the beach in Hawaii. I never was. but um, and And you could live in a dump at home, and all you cared about was getting home. Didn't matter what the, your dwelling was. That was your home. Well, we know what the dwelling in heaven is going to be like. The scripture tells us that. We, we should be, no matter how good we've got it here, we should not be satisfied with that because our real dwelling is that. So, sorry. Did somebody start to say something? I'll cut you off. <laughs>